This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled and Acadia Company. And today I'm joined by a colleague from Bobsled, Zhao Calcero da Costa, who studied management and marketing and previously before joining Bobsled was actually at Amazon where he worked in two main departments, the global catalog operations and retail account management both focused almost exclusively on the vendor side of the business, especially in retail account management where he had the sole purpose of growing Amazon vendor accounts. And he joined Bob Sled in late 2021 as a project manager and is based in Portugal. Welcome to the show, Jao. Thank you so much for having me, Kiri. Really excited to be here. So you sort of came up with some of the top questions that you get from brands about Vendor Central. Let's run through them real quick and then we'll jump in one by one. That sounds perfect. Yeah. So I think the main question that I've been asked or main issue that I see that some of of our clients have is the question like, do I have a vendor manager or why is my vendor manager so unresponsive all the time? Yeah. Well, let's start with just sort of running through what we're going to talk about today. One is you know, why is my vendor manager unresponsive? Another is around subscribe and save as a vendor. Okay. Then we're going to talk about net PPM, which is a really interesting program. Is that going to work for people? If your top selling product stops receiving POs, what happens? And then finally, we'll close with the perennial question that we answer at bobsled which is is it worth being a vendor and the question of seller central versus vendor central and what business model should you be operating so -hmm. let's jump into question number one some vendors don't even know if they have a vendor manager because they never hear from them they're unresponsive i've also heard my vendor manager keeps changing all the time i just get introduced to one before i get a new one (laughs) so let's start there what does it look and i think what you're able to provide as perspective as coming from amazon how things kind of work from the inside out yeah yeah sure so this is a very common misconception of what exactly is the person on the other end of the line when you're contacted by Amazon really is to you or into your account. I think it's easy for vendors to say, oh, no, it's a vendor manager. But most of the cases, that is just not correct. So, and I was one of those that, yeah, we had sprints that we did with certain vendor accounts and that were targeted based on their profitability or their potential to grow. But we were not vendor managers at all. We were, let's call it, account managers for that specific purpose and for a very specific time frame. So that's why after that sprint ends, whenever a vendor tries to reach out to that, let's call it vendor manager for purposes of this interview, but it's really not. And that's why they are unresponsive and that's why they're always changing. The concept of vendor manager is something that only high tier vendors from so in terms of how amazon classifies them have access to so yeah don't be super mad at amazon when 
your vendor manager is not responding because most likely it's not your vendor manager. You were just contacted for a very specific purpose and huh. then they move on. And this is a big change for a lot of brands who are typically have a wholesale business model and they sell to stores. They'll have someone, they'll have a counterpart who is a buyer that they negotiate with. Yeah. But when it comes to Amazon, there's you may not have someone assigned to your account is what you're saying. And only if you're a strategic account for Amazon, do you actually have someone assigned to you? Under mm-hmm. what circumstances would you get a brand assigned to you? So at my position, we get brands assigned that have potential to grow. So brands that were underperforming. I'm not even going to say brands because this is not correct. I'm going to say vendor because some vendors have multiple brands and we work at the vendor level, not at the brand level. So it was identified that there was a mismatch in terms of the potential that they show and their actual results. So it was our job to make sure that that potential was fulfilled. And it was by the almighty algorithm that decided, yeah, for this particular sprint, vendors A, B, and C right. will be under my wing. And then after the sprint, we would just send them on their way yeah. and move on to the next one. So sort of underperforming relative to their potential and then also the really large strategic accounts like a, you know, a Procter & Gamble or a Kimberly Clark or a Coca-Cola or someone like that. No, those will have... Vendor managers assigned yes. to them for sure. Like so yeah. it's a high tier of vendors. Yes. So those are the two situations where you would have a vendor manager. Either you're really large and important to Amazon and they want to have that relationship with you, or you're underperforming <laughs> relative to what their <laughs> algorithm says you're supposed to. Yeah, you can yep. you can also contract the AVS, the Amazon vendor services, and then you will pay a fee to have a team allocated to your needs. But most vendors find this program too expensive at times. And yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Are you paying a percentage of your COGS to the AVS or is it a sort of a flat fee per year? How does that? Yeah, it's a flat fee per year. I think it can contain some variables as well, but normally it's a flat fee based on the size of the account. It can reach all the way to $1 million or even more. And you said that a lot of Vendors find that expensive, I guess, relative to the value that it provides. What are some of the things that Amazon vendor services can do for vendors versus the limitations that that program has? Pretty much everything. So pretty much everything. I think it's actually a very valuable program that Amazon offers because you have brand specialists, you have project managers, you have a whole team working for you. And since you are paying, there is an accountability that Amazon also has. It's fairly easier to resolve any issues when you are with AVS. So I know it's an expensive price tag and I think we can all agree, depending on the size, but it's pretty sizable. But I think in most cases it's worth it, given that the barriers that you have in terms of having a human being or the ease of resolving an issue. So yeah, I would say it's worth it. Mm. So let's talk about subscribe and save, which is really pertinent to brands who have consumable, replenishable products, you know, grocery, CPG and things like that. Mm -hmm. So this is a really popular program that is accessible for sellers as well as vendors. Mm -hmm. And the question that you had here was, should I enroll in Subscribe and Save? And which ASINs am I able to enroll from a vendor's perspective? 
Yeah, so subscribe and save is fairly straightforward. So you do not enroll specific agents. So let's start with that. So you enroll on the program at the vendor level. So all of your agents will be eligible for Amazon to do their due diligence and understand if they are an agent that falls into the category that subscribe and save wants to have. So I think it's probably the best program, or at least it's the program I like the best that Amazon offers. It speaks to Amazon at its core. So, and everything else that goes around the program just solidifies the customer-centric approach that they have. You do not need to do anything other than just enroll in the program for your agents to be, well, available for customers to purchase via Subscribe and Save. It's all automatic. Um, which is so just uh, to confirm, plus. like as a on Seller Central, you enroll at the ASIN level, right? And you yeah. decide, and do you have a say in how much that discount is? Yeah, so it's market based, so it's marketplace based the discounts that you can offer. But for vendors, pretty much in every marketplace, it has two tiers and it's the 10 to 15 percent discount. And the difference of tiers is related to the customer number of subscriptions. So if the customer has four or less subscriptions, they will have a 10% discount and five or more, they will have the 15% discount. Got it. And it's super, so some vendors might still be, and this is something that I would say to look very carefully on your terms with Amazon and make your math. Because if you are still on an actual funded subscribing safe type of situation, you really want to change to the flex agreement. Because on the flex agreement, you only pay for any unit that is shipped in subscribing safe instead of paying a fee for every PO that you receive. So be on the lookout for that situation because it might be super beneficial for you. And there's a lot of pluses on joining the subscribing safe. The data that we have is a subscribing safe customer, it will normally spend. 1.5 to two times more the amount of money than a non subscribing safe customer on your brand. And then when we are looking this in consumables, so in the category of consumables with replenishable selection. And if you are facing that against the average Amazon consumer, it's a eight time increase. So not to mention the brand loyalty that comes with it, the brand recognition. So yeah, it's a really, really effective program. Yep. So just to summarize here, subscribe and save works a little bit differently to Seller Central because you need to essentially enroll at the full catalog level. Amazon will determine which products are suitable for them to enroll in subscribe and save. So you don't get quite as much control as a seller does, but the upside is really good because, you know, especially for consumables, that sort of guaranteed revenue coming in every month or whatever the frequency that customer has purchased at. Exactly. Yep. Okay, let's talk about another program that, which is just for vendors that I've heard very different opinions about and I'm really curious to get your perspective on this, which is Net PPM. So can you explain what Net PPM is first? Sure, I'm happy to. And this is actually a good way of introducing the metrics that we see as vendors on our Vendor Central pages. So there's a lot of confusion in which metrics we should be looking at in order to assess the real value of our business with Amazon. And there's confusion between sourcing versus the manufacturing view. Just to be clear on this one. So if you are looking at exactly what you are making as a vendor for your vendor code, you, you go through, through sourcing. 
Sorry about that. Sometimes it's tricky, the English language. And the manufacturing view will basically allow you to see every single one of your branded agents that are out there in the world and see the total amount of revenue that you're making from this. Although it's not being sourced from your vendor code, so probably it's either a distributor, it's, I don't know, another seller that's, I don't know, maybe tricky at some point Mm -hmm. to understand, but this can also fill in the gap a bit of where else is Amazon being or where else is Amazon sourcing your products from and how much of the share are you netting in. But then net PPM, net PPM should be the metric that we should be looking at the most. So basically, and a lot of people also have a misunderstanding of what it really means. So it's not your profit margin. It's Amazon's margin on your products. And there's a big difference there. So this is the metric that you see or that Amazon sees as well when they are calculating your profitability to them. And that will then influence the annual vendor negotiations, the dreaded negotiations. So we should always be keeping an eye on all of our catalog and try to understand where are we not being profitable to Amazon so that we can safeguard ourselves from heavier or more difficult negotiations in the future. And Mm. I say this, of course, the net PPM is not the final metric that Amazon looks at, but it's the only one that we can influence as vendors. Then it trickles down into the final metric that defines the profitability of the account. But that's what we can see. And that's the number that that we want to see raised. So I would say there is not a standardized net PPM that we should be aiming at. Because it depends a lot on categories, it depends a lot on the prices, it depends on a lot of things. But I would say from the 40 to 45% range, so that's where we want to be. The higher, the better for Amazon. But in the long run, also better for you because that means that your terms will likely not change that drastically year in and year out. So yeah, and this is something that we should be looking at also at Mm. the ASIN level, not only at the the whole portfolio level. Yep. So here's some stuff I've heard about net PPM. One is that for certain vendors, it's actually how their whole agreement is written, that they're guaranteeing a certain net PPM to Amazon. And that Mm -hmm. if, and this this is for really large companies, I'm not sure how extensively it played out with the smaller vendors, but if Amazon's net PPM target wasn't reached, then the vendor would actually have to pay Amazon that amount. So yeah. that's I, I've, they basically I've never cut seen, Amazon a check. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've never seen a contract like that. Probably because the vendors that we we worked on were not that high level, but it sounds about right. So this is a performance based contract for sure. Yeah. All right. So that's one metric that you said is really important to be tracking. What are Mm. other metrics that you think are important for vendors to be tracking? Yeah, I would say Shipcock. So a lot of my clients have looked at shipped revenue for a long time, but that's not actually what we want to see when it comes to the money that goes into our bank accounts. We want to see the Shipcocks, which is basically the cost or the price that Amazon paid for your products. Shipped revenue is the, well, the price or the cost that all of the other clients had when they bought from Amazon. So one is Amazon's total revenue and Shipcogs is, let's call it your revenue as well. And don't even look at ordered revenue because the time frame just don't match and it's just a mess. So that's for other purposes. But yeah, have a look at Shipcogs, see how it's trending. You can see in all levels 
if you're trending upwards, if you're trending downwards. Normally, if you're trending downwards, that means that your pages are not seeing as much because as we all know, Amazon buys based on, on demand and they calculate that demand based on glance views and, and sessions. So there might, if it starts to go down a bit, it might be time for you to start investing a bit more in advertising and getting your pages out there. Yep. Hi, it's Kiri here. Zhao and I had so much to talk about about the vendor central business model and all the questions that we hear from brands about operating a vendor central account. So we decided to go a little bit longer and keep going with the great conversation that we were having and roll right into a second episode. So if you're enjoying our conversation, definitely make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast and you'll get alerts for following episodes. And we'll be playing part two of this conversation next week on Tuesday. So stay tuned for part two of this conversation with Xiao.